1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we do it. If you want to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So, uh, you know, this week, I decide I'm going to start off the show in a little different direction. Um, Actually, today is the anniversary, the one-year anniversary, of when my father, a blessed memory, passed away. Um, actually, I remember the day, it was a Sunday, and I was getting ready for the show, and I get a phone call, and I get in the car, and I run, and I send a message to Ben, who is not here today, um, and he says, don't worry about it. Of course, don't worry, because I'm on the road. And um, anyways, I had to drive into New York. And I wanted to give myself a little bit of an opportunity, maybe for the first segment, um, to tell you about my father. I think there's a lot of good stuff that um, that we could learn from. And really, I was when I was preparing for the show, I said to myself, I really hope that everyone certainly feels that way. And that everybody could learn from their parents. Because uh, nobody lives forever, which is always a good thing to remember. Whenever happy when a, a loved one has to, uh, has to pass away. And some people, there's a long illness. Some people, there's a shorter illness. <clears throat> Sometimes there's no time. But in any case, everyone should have the good feelings that I have about my father, and hopefully you also have good feelings, good stories, nice things to talk about. Um, It's really a blessing, which is a phrase my father actually used a lot. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my father. Hopefully uh, you'll appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoy it. First of all, my father was a big man in a chair. I don't know if you could tell. um, I'm one of the smaller children in my family, Uh, but my father was 6'3", a good 220 pounds. He was a big man, and people would say he was a big man. He had a big heart. Uh, he was a volunteer fireman for for many many years, um, probably even. Uh, I mean, I guess in college days already he was where we lived upstate, New York. He was a volunteer fireman. Um, when we moved down to a suburb of New York City, uh, they didn't have paid fire departments; they had volunteer fire departments. He was always a fireman, so we used to always joke. You know, when kids are little, four, five, six, the. The teachers will ask the child, so what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. All Because the, they sound very exciting. That was not my father's reason for becoming a volunteer fireman. He was very community-oriented. He would look at the community, see what the community needed, see what people needed. And he said, and he told me it numerous times, he said, we live, in where I lived, was certainly a Jewish community, a highly concentrated Jewish community. He said if the only people in the volunteer fire department are non-Jews and they're always coming to fight fires in a Jewish neighborhood, you know, they might not be so happy. I'm not saying, of course, there's always good people. They don't care what neighborhood they work in. And even if those people don't reciprocate, of course, there's all kinds of people. But my father felt... Um, it, would, it would sanctify God's name when, even though the majority of the fire department would be made up of non-Jews, but as long as they knew there were a few Jews who said, we care, and we can do this, and we're going to be here, um, it, would just, it would just be good for everybody. And it was fantastic. Of course, we as kids loved it because every once in a while we couldn't get rides in a fire truck. If you ever wondered, or in those buckets, that was certainly not happening. But he could bring us down, and we could climb on the fire trucks and put on these boots that were bigger than we were and this equipment that we couldn't lift. And we'd get to go in the buckets. And, again, we couldn't climb the ladders when they're in the air. But we had a good time. I have pictures of my kids doing it. I have, uh, there's pictures of some of the grandchildren getting brought down. And um, one of the things they, I guess we'll say this in a nice way, that they used my father for was there were certain Jewish neighborhoods that they they were, I don't want to say afraid, but they were not trusting. And they didn't always want to let the fire department come in. So now you have a problem. There's a fire, the fire department's been called, and the, the people are blocking the street. So what they did was, whenever that happened, they would they would send my father ahead. So again, dressed in fire gear, you look like a fireman. So he took off his fire helmet, and you would see uh, a short-trimmed white beard usually, and he had a, a kippah or yarmulke on his head. And as soon as they saw that he was Jewish, it calmed everything down. Oh, oh okay, um, you want to come in? Okay, what do we need to do? How can we help you? And and um, I think they created a um, a special job. Uh, I think it was called public safety. Or again, there's public safety people in my neighborhood. But he became the public safety officer to make sure to smooth things over with the Jewish communities. This story goes way way back. Today, I'm not sure. There may actually be. Um, more Jews in that fire department than non-Jews. But certainly in the early days when my father was involved, he didn't have that. That was was one example of what he did. And again, his idea was to teach us by example that if you see a need, if you see a way that you can help, you don't just talk about it. You do something. Now, I always said I'm a little guy. Maybe I'm not built to be a fireman. But my two brothers actually uh, were both volunteer firemen. Um, I just was the only one that uh, I'm not sure if I would have passed the physical, but in any case, I'll give you another example of of just looking to see where help is needed. So in the synagogue, so I remember every week we would go. It's hard to imagine such a thing. We set up the synagogue every week. In other words, nowadays you think of a synagogue, you think of the pews and the chairs and the and the ark and the and the, where the rabbis sit and the buildings. So we were in a synagogue that actually rented a school. And it had to be set up before the, before the Sabbath and taken apart. We had carts and, and things on wheels. And my father was there early every week. And we came along. And we opened up the synagogue and set it up. And the prayer books were out. And the prayer shows were where they belonged. And the Torah scrolls were where they belonged. And the same thing when the Sabbath was over. And everybody wants to run home to do whatever they want to do. My father stank, very patient man, no rush. We have to take apart the synagogue. When we finish, we'll go home. You want to help, you don't want to help. He never never forced us to work. It's your choice. If you're not going to work, he'll do it himself. But you're not going to, I hope, you're not going to watch your father doing something, which certainly is a good thing, and sit there and say, okay, you do it, Uh, we'll watch. We have better things to do. Um also, by the way, whatever his rabbi said, that was like gold or if there's a or if there's a higher metal, you can pick it. uh the rabbi said he did it. he didn't like people talking in synagogue. The rabbi didn't like it. My father knew the rabbi didn't like it, so during prayers, during services, if you wanted to talk this six foot three person would never say monster about my father, but he could be intimidating with his size, uh, would walk over to you and either wait for you to figure out you're talking, and you should stop, or he'd tell you to be quiet, or he, hmm, power failure. Uh, some of my lights went out, but at least it's not blinding, so it's not so bad. Um, but okay, in any case, um, well, I don't mind if the lights are out. I hope, I hope I still look the same. I'm still me, don't worry. Anyways. I um, just lost a bulb. Oh, that's A little it. The bulb
2: went out. That is that's, so
1: cool. Yeah. Actually, two bulbs. Yeah, we've you, got because oh, they're maybe, connected. Yep,
2: they're they're uh, they're being uh, they're in shipment right now. New that, bulbs. That More is bulbs. so
1: cool. All right. Well, I hope you can see me because we're still under the bright lights. But in any case, the rabbi says he goes ahead and tells people to be quiet. So people harassed him terribly over the years. They didn't like it. Nobody likes to be told what to do. So. We, as children, said, come on, Dad, look, everybody's making fun of you. They're harassing you. And his answer always was, the rabbi said I should do it. The rabbi says, stop, I stop, no problem. So one day, the rabbi finally said he couldn't handle the rabbi. didn't like that my father was taking the abuse. He told my father to stop. My father says, rabbi, you tell me to do it, I'm doing it. So the rabbi said, no, I want you to stop, okay? The rabbi says, stop, my father stopped. Um he had a fascinating um um way of of studying, and I his hours were not to be believed. He had really no no um background as far as religious study goes. He told me once he was in one of these uh afternoons Sunday schools where every year they re-taught you how to read he said he didn't learn anything and he said he hated it and i uh I understand why, because if it's not a real school system and it's, it's not set up with professional teachers and they, and they just because they happen to speak Hebrew doesn't make them teachers and it's after public school, the kids weren't happy. He did not like it. He was brought up in a traditional home, but, um, but certainly study was not part of the home. But in his later years, um, he wanted to study. So first of all he went to lectures five o'clock in the morning because look, you gotta pray, you gotta go to work. So there's only so many hours in the day. So he found hours early morning, five o'clock in the morning. Always lectures in the evenings. Um and when actually when I came back from Israel, I decided I was gonna go to a school in my hometown in Muncie so that I could study with my father. I thought it would be nice. So it was really amazing. Um I'm in Israel. It's um it's probably close to the summer, and I was enjoying Israel studying, I thought, maybe I'll stay another year, but I had already told my father that we were going to study, so I call him up, and I say, you know, I'm thinking if I should stay another year, you know, like all good teenagers or whatever I was, 22, whatever it was, and I was thinking very much of myself, not too much of others, and my father says, oh, but I thought we were going to study, so as soon as my father said those words, I said, you're right, I said, I'm coming home, forget the thought, I'm home. And we studied for many years, for a good seven years, we studied every night, slowly, slowly working our way through different tractates. And friends reminded me, um, that when my father walked into the study hall, so again, you have to imagine, there most of the people in that study hall, well, without the beard and the white hair, but look like me, white shirts, well, we'll talk about my tie later. Um conservative, dressed, and my father would walk in. And again, he's a big man. So you would hear, walking into the back of the study hall, this thumping of his work boots, which he also used. I mean, he was a pharmacist, but he stood in them all day. They were comfortable, and he always wanted these boots in case there was a fire call because, again, he was a volunteer. So he comes into the study hall with big thumps, thump, thump, thump. And again, I don't know nowadays if you know people like this, but he had, like, I don't know, rings and rings of keys. All his keys were doubled and tripled and quadrupled. So he was never, like, locked out of his car or out of his office or out of the house because he had numerous key rings. So they jingled when he walked. So you're hearing this thump, thump, jingle, jingle, thump, thump, jingle, jingle. And as a friend said, we don't have to look up. We know it's 9 o'clock because Mr. Jacobson has arrived to study with his son. It was fantastic. And this went on for years and years, and we studied. And he didn't look like anybody else, but he didn't care. He was happy. We were studying. It reminds me, um, this, I always told him, I said, it's not fair. He hated people who smoked. He, He couldn't understand why they had to smoke. It's not necessary to smoke. And he himself quit. Why couldn't they quit? So I used to say, Dad, it's not fair. You smoked three packs a day, unfiltered. When my younger sister was born, she's was about six years younger than me, uh, my mother said to him, and again, this is in the, probably the early 70s. There were not all these warnings on cigarettes of how bad they are for you. She said to my father, she said, you know, I don't like to smoke anymore. I want you to stop. He said, fine. <laughs> so he quit cold turkey. So, you know, people who quit... So after a couple of months, they can't, usually they can't handle the smell. It makes them nervous. It bothers them. So he would tell people, he said, what are you smoking for? Why can't you quit? And I said, Dad, it's not fair. He said, you stopped cold turkey. The rest of the world can't do what you managed. So you don't relate so good on the smoking part. But uh, that was part of his studying, and he loved studying. He would get up early in the morning. He could be studying for a few hours before he had to go to work and then come home, study a few hours more, And um, his dream was always to retire and what was called a senior Kolel. And I was when younger people study. Um, They call that a Kolel. It's a group of people who study. And when people retire, they also study. So for those who understand pensions, he worked for the state for about 25, no, probably 30-something years. And depending on when you retire, it depends on how much you get um, for your pension. So they told him, if you retire in June, you get X. If you're going to retire in November, you're going to get X plus, I think, a couple hundred dollars a month. So he asked me what I thought. And, you know, I'm not telling my father. Retire, not retire. It's his money. I'm not uh, going to tell him what to do. We talked about it. He calls me up and he says, that's it. I want to study in a senior colo. I want to be able to study all day. So I'm retiring. Who cares? What's a couple hundred dollars a month? So he retired in June. He joins this colo, so his schedule was wild. He'd be up four thirty, five 5 o'clock in the morning, study for a couple hours, go to a lecture, pray, go to more lectures, all-day lectures till about 3.30. And 3.30, my mother came home from work, so he came home. So he was a retiree that had his life's dream, and then my mother doesn't have to suffer because he wants to go study for her he gave her the whole afternoon, evening, whatever she wanted. So he really lived his dream, and it was good timing because he only got to be in that senior color for about a year. Then he was diagnosed with, uh, with bladder cancer. Um, we're not sure if that's what he died from. He had surgery on it. They removed the bladder. Supposedly he was clean, but he, he actually passed away from a massive heart attack. So it was actually uh, fairly quick. But um, he understood his children, he understood his grandchildren. Let me give you one memory, because I have about a minute, and then we're going to get into the Torah portion in the next segment. But by my youngest brother's, um, before his wedding, the weekend before his wedding, the family got together. So, uh, Friday night, my father loved to give special blessings, special Jewish blessings to the children. There was a line up I don't know, 20, 30 children, grandchildren, getting blessings one after another. I must tell you, it was the most beautiful sight you could imagine of a grandparent blessing his children, enjoying the grandchildren and children, enjoying giving them a blessing. Um, we, uh, the children, we got our blessings too. Don't worry. We made sure we got our blessings. But just watching the whole situation was was heartwarming. It was emotional. It was beautiful. And I'm glad he had that opportunity. So, And I'm glad you allowed me my first segment to talk about my father. But when we come back... After the segment, we're gonna get into Abraham. We gotta talk about fire furnaces. We gotta talk about uh, ten tests and all kinds of other good stuff. So hold on through the break. We'll be right back.
0: Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at MapleLaneGolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special, nine holes of golf and enjoy food and refreshments in the clubhouse bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com.
1: Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want advertising on new radio media is a solution with our live streaming programs that are also available on demand your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads newradiomedia.com call buzz van houten at 248-939-9999 for more information Hey, you guys! It's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Gate Statement Weekly, on new radio media. Turtle power!
0: Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years, and through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community, and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service, and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wild Lake.
1: took some things out of uh, some of my reminiscing about my father blessed memory and maybe at the end of the show i have one more i probably have hundreds but i'm not gonna give them all to you right now but maybe we'll end off the show with uh, with another story about my father but we got to talk about the torah portion so last week was noah we barely talked about the flood but last week we had great stuff about olive branches and baseball bats check it out Um, But we're going to talk about Abraham. Now we start to get into the forefathers. We get into Abraham. Who's Abraham? What happened? What makes him special? He's 10 generations after Noah. The world is getting back into idol worship. There's a tremendous desire. There's a tremendous inclination to do idol worship. And uh, Abraham is born, and uh, he discovers on his own. We don't have to go through all the different stories. But he discovers on his own that there must be a God. He says there's no way the world runs without a God behind the scenes pulling the strings. There's just no way. There's no way the world wasn't created by a God. You open your eyes. You figure it out. Um, And Abraham figures it out. And the story is told. His father actually had an idol, um, I guess, superstore or whatever it was. He sold idols, sold what they needed for idols. And one day... Abraham's father, his name was Terach, tells Abraham, I need you to mine this store. So Abraham says, fine, no problem. So his father leaves. Different people come in. They they ask him about buying and worshiping, and he tells him it's foolish, no reason for it. So they say, so then what are you doing here? He says, don't worry about it. I got my plans. And a lady came in to leave a sacrifice. Again, these things sound strange to us because we don't relate at all to idol worship. But a lady comes in, wants to leave a sacrifice. Abraham says, thank you very much. And then he goes ahead and he, I don't know, takes the fire axe or whatever he took. And he smashes all the idols except one big one. And he sticks the axe in his hand. And he sits back and waits for his father to come home. So his father comes in. He says, Abraham, what happened? What's going on? So vandals, like, what's going on? So Abraham says to his father, crazy story, crazy. Um, some lady came in, wanted to bring a sacrifice to the idol, and she puts it down. And the idols started fighting and yelling. And then this big idol over here, he picks up that axe and he smashes them to pieces. Crazy. Like, I never saw such a thing. So Terach, Abraham's father, says, Abraham, you know and I know that idols do not pick up axes and smash each other. They're just pieces of stone, Or pieces of wood, sometimes silver or gold. They can't move. They can't see. They can't talk. He's making up stories. So Abraham says to his father, do you ever pay attention to what you say? You say these idols, they don't walk. They don't talk. They don't move. They can't think. They can't see. They can't hear. So what are you bowing down to them for? They have no power. They're worthless. You should be praying to God. Okay, nice try. I mean, very philosophical, very brilliant, but it didn't go over so well with with Terah. So Terah brought his son Abraham to the world's king, whoever however it worked. Uh, he was one of the big leaders of the world. His name was Nimrod, or Nimrod, and a very powerful man. And uh, like all important people, they love to debate children because they imagine that with, with one pithy remark... Um, the child will be reduced to, I guess, uh, nothing—a blathering fool—because of their brilliant statement. Well, this Nimrod calls over to Abraham and he says, "Abraham, I—I I need to see you bow down to an idol. You got to worship like the rest of us worship. You don't get to do whatever you want around Didn't here." Nimrod build the Tower of Babel. Very good. Okay. That would be last week's Star portion. Right. Same guy. Very good. You are—you are well read. Thank you. You make me proud. That's from RD. But, in any <laughs> case, um. So Abraham says, uh, but this idol can't do anything. Can't walk, can't talk. So finally Nimrod says to Abraham, well, I'm God. I'm an idol. Bow down to me. So Abraham says to Nimrod, I tell you what. Tell you what. When I woke up this morning, the sun came up in the east and it set in the west. If you could get the sun to do the opposite tomorrow, let it come up in the west and set in the east, you're God. You're the man. I will bow down to you, I'll be your servant, whatever. But if you can't do it, well, then you're no better than some of these pieces of stone and wood. That, of course, did not uh, make Nimrod very happy. And uh, we find this, by the way, with adults all the time. You try to convince a child to do something, and if the child doesn't listen to your reasoning, you figure, well, if he's not smart enough to listen to my reasoning, I'll use physical force. That will show that I'm right. People do it, I'm sure, all kinds of uh, situations come up where you try to talk and the person doesn't want to reason with you, so you want to show them you're right by using physical force. Physical force is not a way to show people that you, that you, that you are right. But Nimrod threatens Abraham and says, if you ain't going to bow down to me, we're not waiting till tomorrow morning for no sun east-west, not happening. If you're not going to bow down to me, I got this nice furnace in the back, real toasty hot, we're tossing you in there. We'll see what your God does. Abraham says, go right ahead. Now, you, you should think about it for a second. If a person has a belief system and he's convinced that he's right, threatening the person, any person, any religion, I don't care, threatening the person to be thrown into a fire is, generally speaking, not much of a threat because if I truly believe in what I believe, and, of course, I'll let you kill me over it. So, therefore, when we talk about the ten tests that happen over the next uh, couple thorough portions, uh, most of the commentaries feel the fiery furnace doesn't count. Because then you're just doing what you believe in. Doing what you believe in is not automatically a test. A test is really going against your nature, against what you believe. We'll, but we'll talk about it. We'll get there. I hope, as the clock ticks away. So, Abraham is thrown into the fiery furnace, and we should be familiar with the story. And uh, and God cools off the furnace or sends an angel to cool off the furnace. In any case, Abraham's walking around, and uh, nothing is singed. And eventually Nimrod has to bring him out, and now you're, Nimrod is stuck. Like, he can't really fight with Abraham right now because he just came out of a furnace. Like, so now you're going to kill him? So what what do you think all your followers are going to believe? So he sends Abraham on his way. But that is the story of Abraham in the fiery furnace, And Abraham does not hang around very long um, in that area. People are not happy with him, obviously. And um, he moves to a place called Haran. What's interesting is, by the way, there is no mention in the Torah, in the Bible, of Abraham and the fiery furnace. There's, at best, one verse that mentions a place, and the name of the place is or kazdim, or it means fiery furnace. That's the best we get. Everything else is what we call a Midrash or in the Talmud, but it happens to not be written in the Torah because, again, it's not really important to the story, as much as we enjoy the story, but it's not important to our belief system to know that Abraham was saved from a fiery furnace. However, one thing that is definitely accomplished is by Abraham allowing himself to be thrown into a furnace, It makes it; makes it becomes part of his DNA. So it makes it easier for his children throughout history to be willing to give up their lives to serve God. That is something that is part of the DNA. When we do good actions, it goes into our DNA to help our children. And unfortunately, when we do things that are not so good, it also goes into our DNA and affects our children. But the Torah portion starts out with the first of the ten tests. In the meanwhile, Abraham is, uh, has his own school. He has his own school where he teaches people about God. He's not teaching them the Torah and the commandments. He's teaching them don't do idol worship. You gotta believe that there's one God and He created the world. That pretty much is what he did. He did it in a few different brilliant ways. He he um, he basically had a free restaurant where people would come, and he would, he'd be in the desert and he'd give them water and he'd give them food and he'd say, well, you know, before you you drink this water, you really have to make a blessing. You know, what's a blessing? A blessing is we thank God for. For taking care of us and giving us this food, who's God? What's God? So this would be the way Abraham could continue the conversation. Now, by the way, Abraham wasn't a fool. Um, he wanted people to make blessings. He was going to force the issue. Again, he can't force you to become religious, but he can force he can he can force the issue that you should at least think about who God is. Because what he did was he said, um, "Oh, here's a glass of water. I don't think it had my picture on the mug or my." My logo. But in any case, um, he said, Here's a glass of water, which I drink many of. It's not coffee, it's water. But uh, he said, Here's a glass of water. So, like anybody in a restaurant, what's it cost? Huh? Well, we're in a desert. So, um, it's going to cost you 10 gold coins. Oh, that's a steep price for a cup of water. Sabre so said, But, but, if you'd like, it could be free. But you have to take a blessing got to talk about God a little bit. If you're willing to let me tell you about God, you make a blessing, it's on the house. And if I don't want to make a blessing, no problem. Um, it's 10 gold coins. Your choice. So Abraham is busy getting a name for himself. People find out who Abraham is. Um, if he wants to let the world know, at least in those days, nowadays you have internet. But in those days, if you wanted to become, even nowadays, by the way, if you want to become a person that people know and people trust and people will listen to and you want to spread the word that there's a God, you need to be in one location. If you're going to always be a traveling salesman, you're here today, God, tomorrow, you'll accomplish nothing. So Abraham believes that it's most important that he stays right where he is and he builds his community from there. That's why the first test is go away. And as Abraham, you think... That you're doing God's work and you've got it all figured out. Your first test, I want you to leave. Now, leaving, by the way, makes it harder to have children, harder to make money, harder to get groups of people to follow you because you're here today, gone tomorrow. So God says, I know you have your way of thinking and you think you're completely right. But I'm telling you, if you believe in God, I want you to travel And Abraham says, fine. So Abraham will pick up with his wife. He has no children. He'll pick up with his nephew, Lot. We're going to talk about his nephew, Lot, momentarily. But we're up against the break. But at least we touched on the first test. We talked about Abraham the fiery furnace. And hold through the break. And we're going to continue talking about Abraham. We'll be right back.
2: Plus, the latest Liftmaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market. All by the push of a button, Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association.
1: Tarno no doors.
0: Tarno no doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wild Lake. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights, Check us out at MapleLaneGolf.com. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sleeping adventure. Where we try to fulfill our destinies
2: without driving the dungeon master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there.
1: Man. Yeah, all day long day,
0: if I were a wealthy
1: man and we're I back What a great song for what we're talking about Abraham is thinking if I need to be to be famous and people should listen to me I need wealth if I were a rich man and if I'm gonna travel money may be a problem but... Abraham believes in God. So what what the tests are going to show is that even though Abraham believes in God and he believes that he knows how he's supposed to serve God, the point of the test is you're not the one to figure out how to serve God. God will tell you how he wants to be served. You can have all your calculations and if I do this, I'll accomplish that. And if I work here and if I talk to this person and if I cut corners here... God will understand. People say to me all the time. God understands it." in my situation, it's a little bit different. God does understand, and he still has the rules and regulations in place. So God is showing Abraham and us that we're not supposed to try to be so smart. We're not the ones to create how to serve God. God creates how God wants to be served. So therefore, Abraham is on the move. He takes his wife, Sarah. And his nephew, Lot, Abraham has no children. Um, He seems to take some people with him, and he has his servants, and he goes to Israel. Now, you look in the verse, God never said anything about going to the land of Israel. Interesting, if you look carefully through the verses, Abraham's really been in Israel already. He comes back to Haran, and now he's going again, and he knows about Israel, and he knows God's presence is there. And he understands God wants him to head towards Israel. So Abraham knew, but he had not been told that he was actually going to Israel. So he arrives in Israel. No sooner does he arrive in Israel, and there's a hunger, which in itself is unusual because in those days, they had never really experienced a hunger. So the problem is, what do you do now? You know that God sent you to Israel. So you finish the first test. And now God makes a hunger. Do you complain? Do you say, God, what are you doing to me? Don't you understand? I'm following what you say, and you make my life miserable? No. If the test is go to Israel, I go to Israel. Not as a hunger. I have to deal with a hunger. So now we get into the next part of the story. Abraham decides to go down to Egypt, which is debatable in the rabbis if that was a good decision or not. It's still considered one of the tests because he's not complaining that God sent him and then sends a hunger. But Egypt may not be the safest place for Abraham's wife um, because when they see pretty ladies, and it says Abraham's wife was quite beautiful, um, they either kill the husband and take the wife or or for themselves or for an officer or in this case for the pharaoh. So Abraham travels down to Egypt, and he has a fascinating conversation with his wife. He says, you know, you're a very pretty lady, which husbands should always tell their wives. You're a very beautiful woman. These Egyptians are not used to your kind of beauty. So we're going to have a problem. So uh, perhaps Abraham had been hoping if he starts going to Egypt, God will tell him don't go. But God doesn't. So he says, look, I'm going to hide you and try to sneak you in. But if I'm not successful, um, say you're my sister. Because if you say you're my wife, they're going to kill me. So in this case, Abraham is cre- hes not—he's going to claim it's not a full-fledged lie. She's a niece. So she's like a sister. But at the end of the day, he's not being fully truthful because he figures this will save his life. As soon as he says it's my wife, he's dead. Because, you know, oh, we we don't wanna we don't wanna do the sin of marrying a lady who's married. That would be terrible. We don't want to do that kind of sin. Murder, on the other hand, okay, look, it happens, people die. What are you gonna do? They go into Egypt, they find his wife, the hiding place didn't work, and they send her to Pharaoh. So she goes to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh, of course, wants to sleep with her. And she, Sarah informs Pharaoh, you know, I'm married. We made up a story. I know you gave a lot of money to my uh, supposed brother, Abraham. But the truth is, we're married, and uh, you're not allowed to sleep with me. So Pharaoh says, too bad. What do I care? If I can murder him, I can sleep with you. I don't care. And uh, God sends a plague on Pharaoh and, or he sends an angel to beat him up. It's debatable. Or he sent him leprosy. It's, again, debatable amongst the rabbis. not clear in the Torah itself exactly what happened. But the bottom line is, um, the next morning, Pharaoh says uh, says to Sarah, you can go. And he sends her with more money. He actually gives her land, a lot of cattle, and a lot of sheep. He sends her up very wealthy. In other words, if he just threw her out of the house, then you would imagine, yeah, he slept with her for one night. He's done with her. So he throws her out with the garbage. The fact that he sends Abraham back full of wealth and he gives her even land in Egypt and he tries to appease means that he did not sleep with her and he did not touch her because God didn't let. So they, they move, they go back, they, they leave, now they're full of wealth. Even Abraham's nephew is fantastically wealthy. Because I guess his family they gave them all lots of stuff and they leave, so now they have money, so now the hunger won't be a problem. Interesting enough, on the way back, Abraham stops at the same inn that he had slept in on the way down. Now he's in a new inn on the he's in the same inn on the way back. So the rabbis learn an interesting lesson from there. When a person travels, he should make sure to always go to the same inn. Because if you don't go to the same inn, you know, people are going to say, oh, he used to be by this guy. He doesn't like him anymore. He's not such a good inn. So it's not nice. So while I'm saying this it reminds me of a joke. I haven't said jokes for a while, but there's a funny one. Um, there's nothing like starting a joke saying it's a funny one now. And if the person doesn't think it's funny, so you kill the whole thing. Maybe it's not a funny joke. Maybe it's a dumb joke, but I like it anyways. Um, so there's a guy um, who always eats on the north side of the street. Single guy, every night, he's always been eating for weeks and months and years by Chaim's Deli. Always, always eating there. Always eating Chaim's Deli. Anyways, this fellow gets a terrible toothache. So he goes to the rabbi. I guess there's no good dentist there. So he says, Rabbi, I have a terrible toothache. What should I do? He says, where's the earth? He points a part of his cheek. He says, you know what? You should eat on the other side. Okay, so that night, he, instead of eating in Chaim's deli, he, uh, he goes across the street to eat in Beryl's deli. So as soon as Chaim sees, sees his customer go to Beryl's deli, he says, come on, you're going to embarrass me. I'm going to lose business. People are going to say I did something wrong. He storms across the street into Barrels deli, and he says to his friend, his customer, he says, what are you doing here? I, uh, you always eat by me. Did I do something wrong? Did I burn the food? Too much pepper? Too much salt? Says said, no, no, no. I have a toothache. The rabbi told me to eat on the other side. I'm eating on the other side. Okay, fine. So much for my rim shot. So much for my joke. Um, I think R.D. is way too busy to, um, to laugh. But that's okay. It wasn't so bad, was
2: it? It, was, it wasn't bad. It wasn't no, bad. Okay, fine.
1: Actually, I think I told this joke like a year ago. I can't remember which show. And I told it a little different. And that's why I wasn't fully prepared for it because I messed up the joke. But that's fine. Okay. In any case, they eat. They go back to the same inn that they traveled in. Some say um, he didn't have money going down. He promised he'd have money coming back, and now he's paying them back. Or like, uh, like I told you, simply that it's not nice for a person to change the location of where he eats if he always eats in the same place because then people will say he doesn't like that place. They did something wrong with the food, so they ate in the same place. So now we have, uh, we have this. Abraham and and Lot that are fantastically wealthy and um and they need they have animals they need a lot of grazing area it seems they are both so wealthy that even the grazing area became difficult and uh, fortunately unfortunately um Abraham was very strict with his shepherds he would not allow his shepherds to graze the sheep the cattle in private land this is famous any country you live in, um, shepherds were notorious for grazing on other people's land because they needed a place to graze. And you've got thousands of acres, and you're not going to notice where my sheep are today. So that was something that shepherds did. It was unfortunate. They were robbers. They stole other of people's lands. They did it all the time. They were not allowed, but they did. But Abraham muzzled his animals. He did not allow them to graze in other people's land. Lot, on the other hand, didn't have those problems. He let his shepherds um, graze anywhere. And there was actually fights between Lot's shepherds and Abraham shepherds. And finally, Abraham said to Lot, we can't keep this fighting going. Um, we've talked in the past. You can listen to some of the old shows, what exactly was the basis of their argument. But I got other stuff I want to touch on this week. So you're going to have to go back to listen to the old shows or do a little study. Or and both. I, or both. Both would be fantastic. Yeah. Especially if you listen to the old archive shows. That would be, like, really fantastic. But in any case, um, so Lot chooses to move to Sodom, the famous Sodom and Gomorrah, those very wicked cities. It gives you a feeling of what kind of person Lot was when that's where he chose to move to. He moved to a city full of very, very wicked people. So Lot moves there, and uh, and we're going to Move ahead a little bit into the story, and there's what's called the famous war in the in the Bible of the war between the four kings and the five kings. Nimrod is one of the four kings. He had a different name in the Bible then his name is Amraphel, and he takes his four kings, and they are marching towards Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the five kings. They're marching there to um, to do battle. Uh, officially, according to the Torah, they weren't paying their taxes for 12 years, so they rebel. They're not paying taxes. Nimrod's going to come and collect taxes. His four kings go and, and wipe out the armies of the five kings that's Sodom and Gomorrah. And he captures, in, in, in doing this, um, um, Nimrod captures Lot. Now, really, really, um, he could care less. They're, they're paying tax, not paying taxes. He owns like the whole world. Like, he must make this humongous war. The commentaries say he made this. Really, the Medrash says he made this humongous war because he's still angry. What we talked about earlier on in the segment, he's still burning mad that he was embarrassed by Abraham getting out of the fiery furnace. But he couldn't just kill him. He needed, you know, you need some pretext to go kill a guy that a miracle just happened to. So what he does is he captures Lot and he hangs him like in a bird cage. And he says, uh, he doesn't say, but Abraham, come and get him. Abram, you want your nephew? I'm here with four humongous armies. Why don't you come save your nephew? We're waiting for you. So Abram gets the message that his nephew's been captured. And again, Abram understands that this is all a ploy of Nimrod to be able to kill Abraham. But Abram had promised his nephew that he would always be there to rescue him. So uh, good old Uncle Abe, I guess so uh Abram gets the Torah says three hundred and eighteen a minuscule army of slaves, and they go do battle, and they win they they have these four kings on the run, and Abram is able to rescue his nephew uh it's, obviously it's miraculous he's not uh, you know it's a small army. there's famous stories, some say he had a certain the Talmud says he had a dirt that he threw it and turned into arrows and spears and swords, and who knows what and he saves. Lot. So what happens is he now has the money and the people. And the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, Look, you know, you can keep the money, but at least give me back the people. It's hard to be king without people. And Abraham understood that not only did the king of Sodom want the people, he wanted his money back also. So Abraham said, I'm not taking a thing. I'm not taking anything. If God wants to make me wealthy, God will make me wealthy. I don't need your money. Um, some say Abram should have kept the people because he could have made them religious to fear God. Abram had his calculations, whatever it was. And here we are again. I'm up against it. And we're going to only have one short segment left. We've got to get to our word of the week. i got a fantastic story. Um, I would like to tell you a story to end about my father, one last thing. So, therefore, I'm going to be back. So hold on through the bake. We'll be right back.
0: Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights, Check us out at MapleLaneGolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me. Just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've
2: got the parts you need when you need them. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno
1: no doors. Tarno no doors.
2: Do you want to see things? Like this?
1: Did you just say it, you died? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
0: I mean technically.
2: Or maybe even something like this.
0: We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out PodQuesters. The show where
2: we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks.
0: Oh, like the singer?
2: No, the dragon creature. Uh... Anyways, Podquesters Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com.
1: And we're back, and time is flying as always. So, you know, I've uh, neglected some of the fantastic trending news. Because, you know, most of the trending news I'm not really interested in. But there are a couple of things that happened over the last week or so. Fantastic! First of all, um, I don't know if you heard about this. This guy Banksy's. Are you heard about this guy Banksy's.
2: Banksy, the, uh, the graffiti artist. artist.
1: Yeah, yeah, graffiti yeah. artist. Yeah. So he's fantastic, and he, no one knows who he is at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's right?
2: uh, an anonymous. He's star, anonymous, and he's the one who's done all the paintings in Israel on the on the wall. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. all over the place. Yep.
1: So you heard what happened with uh, his painting last week. Mm, oh, you, you couldn't miss Possibly. It. And Sotheby's. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. yep, yep. So Sotheby's was auctioning off a Banksy's painting. I know it was a girl. She was getting a red balloon or something. Oh, so that's a
2: real famous one.
1: Yeah, so he, they're auctioning it off. It went for $1.4 No sooner does the gavel come down, sold, than all of a sudden you hear the whirring sound of a shredding machine, and you watch the painting start to drop through a shredder. In other words, he built a shredder into the painting into the into the frame like, how they didn't notice i'm not sure and it just went about he's halfway through he's like unbelievable so yeah. either whether his intention was to make his painting worth more money or to show people that that that's not my kind of art my art i just i want you to see it enjoy it and then it's gone We're on to the next one i'm not i'm sure you yeah, have yeah. your I, thoughts
2: i i bet that that was all set up i bet you he had someone set it up he probably paid for that with his own money.
1: Probably. It had to be a setup. There's, there's no question yeah, that the he, story was a setup.
2: He's brought street art to the, the mainstream and, in a huge
1: way. Like, I mean, you can't get better advertising, even your Sotheby's. Mm-hmm. You, you can't get better advertising than the world going ahead and playing with this story. This is a fascinating story. Yep. So that's one thing in trending news I thought was pretty cool. Um, you might notice, by the way, my tie. I hope they can see my tie. Mm-hmm. I wear it usually about once a year, and they put it in my closet. Um, I don't think my wife would appreciate the, the colors. But um, this is my, um, my breast cancer awareness tie. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those good things, those who haven't had a mammogram, whatever the rules are. I know they keep changing the rules and regulations, how often, how not often. I just read one of these uh, really scary stories about a lady who was nervous. She had done some self-examination. She felt something didn't feel right. She went to the clinic to check it out. And the guy said, look, I'm going to send you to the specialist. Whatever they say, you demand that a specialist see you because you don't have the symptoms. But sure enough, interesting enough, she was stage three of zero. And as they saw, it was the beginning of maybe cancer, but already at stage three. And she survived. Um, so again, you do your self examinations, do whatever it takes. But it's something you can take care of. Don't be afraid to talk to your doctor. This is what they're for. Okay, that's, again, it's something important to talk about. And one last thing, I told my class this week on a trending news, pretty fantastic. Um, In China, they want to make sure that the students are focusing in class. So what they do is they have a camera in front of the classroom, and the camera, every 30 seconds, will focus on every single child in the classroom. And the camera can tell if you're focused or if you're spaced out. Now, you know, I'm a teacher, and I have children all the time, and sometimes, not sometimes, children are always spacing out, and you bring them back in. and But, but just imagine that there's a report that comes out every day to say, uh, you weren't focused uh, for this 45 minutes, you weren't focused for this 10 minutes. I mean, you can't survive that way. But it seems in the Chinese schools, um, they are now um, taking the teachers to task or the students to task, if they even want to space out at all, so I, I guess they're creating robots. I don't know zombies, robots. Who knows what they're creating? I mentioned this fantastic idea to my class. My class wasn't so into it. They did not think that it would be the best kind of uh, of camera. In any case, as my time is winding down, I got to get my letter of the week. So if Jake is ready, we're up to our next letter. This is a pretty unusual letter. It's like almost um, you know part of the at sign. You can almost imagine it's called a pay a pay it's a pay or a fay its numerical value is 80 and it can make a p sound or a ph sound depending if there's a dot in that letter and simply the letter itself means mouth it almost looks like it has a mouth when you look at the bottom over there and the top you can almost imagine that it's a mouth and uh, a mouth always reminds us that a person needs to be very careful what goes into his mouth what comes out of his mouth Um, Something always good to think about. Now, P.O.W. could also be the letter for P.O.W., which really, if you think about it, is what Lote was. Lote was a P.O.W., and he was rescued by his uncle uh, Abe, by uh, Abraham. Now, I tell you, they have this fantastic story? It'll take me five minutes to do the story justice, and I don't got five minutes. So just know that there's great P.O.W. stories out there about P.O.W.s who took care of, of fellow prisoners of war. They put themselves in harm's way just to make sure their fellow P.O.W.s had some food. But I don't got time for the story. But maybe you remind me one day it's a great story. But I did say I was going to leave you with a story about my father. Um, one last story. Um, you know, if you read the Harry Potter books, so you know that they send children away to boarding schools. You've never imagined that. But actually, when I was in fourth grade, I was sent away. My parents lived in upstate New York. They thought it was important that I go study and go to school, to a, an Orthodox Jewish day school, so they sent me away. That was for year one. Then my mother and sisters came down for year two, and my father was trying to sell the store, and the store wasn't selling. So finally, he decided he had enough. He's going to join his family. He needs to be in a religious Orthodox neighborhood. As he tells the story, he would lock the door he left the store, and he left. He did not sell the family business that had been a family business for many, many years because his children's education came first, and his children came first. Um, we've shared lots of stuff today. Um, my music is on. i got to thank everybody. Quick thank you again to my wonderful production team. Again, we got Drew, Jake, I think Alyssa's here, R.D. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Turn, new radio media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.